When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena and good morning New Zealand. It is uh, Tuesday. It's 9.03 here on SENZ. Ian Smith with you as we head through to midday today. Uh, We've got uh, an interesting show today. Julian Savia joins us uh, in a few moments. Of course, uh, Julian, like the rest of us, is uh, under... Raps, uh, I suppose you'd have to say it. That's the most polite way of saying it. Yeah, we're in lockdown, so what does that mean for uh, a rugby player these days, particularly one playing in a domestic competition? Phil Tautarangi, uh, after 9.30, uh, we'll have a look at uh, the current PGA event, which is still uh, in progress uh, in America due to a rain delay yesterday. They weren't able to uh, complete it. It was more like a typhoon delay, actually. Uh, and so they're out there this morning, John Rahm holding the lead at the moment. Sean Maloney is a stand sport, uh, sports commentator from Australia. Just uh, how are they feeling about New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks, etc., uh, on their, in their neck of the woods at the moment? Nicky Styrus and Nathan Narari will be on our panel. Um, and so we're, we're pretty busy. Louis Herman Watt, Brendan Popwell, etc., uh, as we head through to midday today and yet another lockdown day. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I turned the light on in the kitchen very early this morning, and there was an insector of the order of Blatadea in its last throes of life for me wriggling on the floor. Uh, a common name is cockroach. And just think about that. How non-inclusive is that name? Really, cockroach. Picked it up though and uh, threw it in the garbage to join the concept of changing the name of our national football team from the All Whites to whatever. If the idea to float this crazy notion into the public eye was to get a reaction, well, Andrew Pragnell, New Zealand football chief executive, mate, you're a genius. From the great Winton Roofer down, you've got your answer, and a swift one at that. Forget it, pal. This is a proud name, and historic name, a name for a team that has often overachieved against the odds on football's largest stages. A team that seldom has the chance to play together as a unit. Maybe, Mr. Pragnall, you might want to consider that. I haven't done the numbers, so I'm taking a punt here. I would say junior football is the most popular sport played by our kids growing up. It would also be the most inclusive. Happy tots to adolescents have a kickabout most Saturday mornings when the season is right. All races included, side by side, having fun. The serious ones, the talented ones who absolutely love the game already might have a goal in mind and not the one at each end with a net on. That would be maybe to one day play for the All Whites to represent New Zealand. 
Scrap this whim, Mr. Pragnall. It's a silly one. Give the proud name, the All Whites, some more football, some more experience, some more exposure. That's the best thing you can do in the eyes of the public. Pretty sure that might be your job description as well. Otherwise, you may well be remembered as may well be remembered as the bloke who tried, and the bloke who joined my cockroach. Julian Sevilla is uh, Wellington and Hurricanes outside back, of course, the man they called the bus, all black number 1111. How exclusive is that number? Uh, yesterday, we all found out in New Zealand that we're going to stay in lockdown level four till at least 11.59 p.m. on Friday night. Um, and it may well be another week for those living in Auckland, uh, which I understand Julian does these days. So domestic sport is on hold, including the Bunnings NPC. So, uh, Julian Sevilla, uh, how does a, an athlete, a finely tuned athlete, get through lockdown uh, at this stage? How frustrating is it? Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Um, uh, it's a pleasure and uh, awesome to be here. Um, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating. Um, obviously, would prefer the season to continue on, but obviously safety comes first. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, our trainers have got us on a good uh, training um, schedule where where uh, just in case the season uh, uh, resumes, and hopefully it does, um, where we're pretty much training most days and doing some running and gym stuff. Um, and luckily for me, I've, I've got a home gym set up, so pretty happy. So, uh, Julian Sevier, what, what does uh, your bubble look like? Who's Who's involved in that? Ah, uh, it's just me, my wife, and my my daughter. Okay, so um, how how do you uh, pass the time, mate? I mean, you're you're typical. I mean, there will be a lot of families around the country with the same small number of people. How how does this Savia uh, family pass the time? Give us some tips. Um, well, uh, normal routine was sort of just wake up, obviously have breakfast, coffee, um, and then we sort of start cleaning the house, whatever needs to be done, and then um just a couple of activities I set up for my we do, our daughter, like some sort of treasure hunt around the street. So we just go for a walk. Um, and then, yeah, and then lunchtime comes around. And then sort of a couple of movies in between lunch and dinner. Um, yeah, and then, well, then I sneak into my, my training there. Um, and have dinner, then it's, uh, yeah, sleep time. So, Julian, you live in Auckland these days. Did you have a mad dash from Wellington, I hear? Sorry, what was that? You live in Auckland, so did you have a mad dash to get to Auckland from Wellington with lockdown just about coming to pass? Is that true? Yes, 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 correct. Um, so, yeah, I think we're sitting there watching the announcement last Tuesday, and then... Um, yeah, as soon as we heard it was everyone going down level four for maybe more than a week, we uh, decided to um, yeah dash up to Auckland on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and um, so really thankful for the Wellington Lions management to uh, let us do that. So pretty happy. So how closely in contact are you with like uh, team management here? I mean, you know, uh, 
Okay, we've we've been told we're we're out of commission until uh, Friday night. But in the run of things, in these things, how how closely do you hear from you know management, coaching staff, or whatever fitness trainers uh, very often during lockdown? Yeah, um, we're always keeping in touch every now and again. Obviously, we know, um, and we have to follow. You know the um, you know when when we're out of lockdown in certain parts of the country is longer and shorter and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, we're all updated in terms of you know what needs to be done during that time, and um, so we're just making sure we're ready when in the, when we get to go, and, and the season continues on. How confident uh, are you about this Wellington team? You've played in so many of them. Uh, what do you? How do you assess the chances? What's the squad looking like? Uh, I'm very happy with our squad and just you know the, the amount of leaders we have in the team and. And the, and the amount of uh, young fellas coming through that's just so eager to learn. Um, I think I think we've got an awesome squad, and um, uh, <clears throat> we just got to, uh, I guess, you know, take a lot of learnings from our last game. Not sure if you saw, but um, yeah. Waikato came back. I don't know, maybe twenty something points down and and won. So little mental lapses there that that we need to work on and. And obviously that just uh, continues over over the season, and it can only get stronger. Yeah, I, I think you know that's probably one of the worst things from the team point of view is when when you give away a, a victory or well, the possibility of a victory like that, such a points advantage. Uh, you want to get back out on the field and fix it and things. So I guess that living with that uh, as your last rugby memory is uh, is a bit of a tough one. Yeah, most definitely, and. Um, as you said, we, you know, we were eager last week or you know last week, and that's just gone. But to, to I guess make up for that um, that loss to Waikato, so um, and and also it was going to be a good game because uh, Manoa two had been going hot. So um, we yeah we would have been really happy and uh, eager to to get back on that pitch and to to make up for that last loss. Uh, have you had a, a chance to study um, the formats or the possible format of Super Rugby for next year? No, not, no, I haven't. Um, yeah, so I've just um, really focused on, on what's happening now and, um, and, and sort of the Lions season and, until, until next year. The, the the format, uh, just very briefly, Julian, is that um, each team will play each other once uh, then you play another three teams uh, again, which will be randomly selected. Uh, of course, uh, and the other uh, interesting dynamic is uh, Moana Pacifica are entering, entering the competition next year. So uh, every year it seems yeah. to change. But uh, with those with those two teams coming in, uh, Moana Pacifica teams, it, it's it got to add a new dimension for for the competition. Oh yeah, for sure, and um, and obviously. I hear a lot of you know players uh, are looking to play for that team, and you know these players are well talented and a lot of X factor, and um, obviously they're going to be new, so the struggles are are, are going to be there. And that's the reality of things. But I'm looking forward and excited to to see what they can bring and um, what, what what they can produce uh, produce um, going forward. Um, it's, going to, it's exciting times ahead. Um, um, that's yeah. First time I heard about that format. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, so yeah. Well, it's it's going to be um, you know, a tough one. As as you said, um, 
the, the fact of the matter, when you only play one team once, you don't sort of get the home advantage against uh, every team all the time. So that, that'll be the tough side of things. Yeah. Uh, you're a proud Samoan lad. Was there any temptation uh, at any stage to think about playing for a uh, Moana Pacifica team? Yeah, um, there was definitely talks uh, on the way back from France and <clears throat> the only uncertainty bit was, you know, them actually going ahead. So uh, me having to wait, I guess, that long to to get the confirmation, I just couldn't really take that risk or, or wait, I guess. Um, and I guess my heart, you know, the hurricanes is, is sort of where I'm from in my heart. And um, uh, <clears throat> where I've always wanted to come back and play and, and um, get another chip for you know for, for the team, and I think the boys deserve it. And um, just really looking forward to next next season, and uh, you know hopefully being able to complete that. Julian Sevilla, you mentioned before about the leadership uh, group within the Wellington Lions this year being very strong. I would imagine you are part of that leadership group with all the vast experience you've had playing rugby, not just in New Zealand, but around the world. Uh, what do you see uh, and what are you offering the younger players? Um, I, I try not to get into their ear as, as you know as much as possible because I want them to be able to feel like they can approach me and, and ask for advice. Um, but all, I, all, all I'm giving them is just um, you know what I, what I can bring to the team and and what I do in my preparation. So. Um, if, if, and, and what's what's happening is, is people are, are all asking everyone questions, and um, if they don't know, they would ask, and, and that's the environment that we want to create. And um, you know, where, wherever they feel like they can chip in, they they can they can feel like they can. So um, that's a big part of what I strive for, and sort of I guess what we're trying to do as a team. So. Um, Having our, having our young guys have, feel confidence because we, we're all leaders in our own way. Um, just obviously some of us have more experience to to be more confident and, and speak out our opinions. So. Uh, Artie's uh, obviously, um, you know, very firmly ensconced in the All Black program um, and it seems now they're going to be up, up to 15 weeks away from home, which is nigh on four months and, and that is not uh, the norm it's, it's going back to the old days when they went on those long lengthy tours around the world but uh, all of a sudden uh, because of um, circumstances 15 weeks away from home uh, have you spoken to Artie about that um, that prospect and how tough that's going to be on families? Yes, yeah, so definitely yeah um, ideally probably you know I would love to have you know a couple of weeks away, come back home, and then go back away for for another you know six seven weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just the way it is at the moment, and um, you know whatever whatever has to happen has to happen, and um, I think uh, it's going to be very tough for the families, but you know it's the sacrifices they're you know they're willing to make and and uh, make sure. You know, where the families are looked after and, and and the players are looked after. So, looking for both interest and making sure they're they're all looked after uh, as, as one. So, Julian, I've just had a text in actually, and it's a pretty interesting question. I I'd never really thought of it. Uh, are you are you vaccinated? Have have you been vaccinated? Um, well, yeah, I've got my my first jab a couple of weeks ago. So, 
I think they said to me it was, it was another six six weeks to to get my second one. So just waiting for yeah. that, and then um, yeah, and then get and then I'll be fully vaccinated. Julian, was that was that your choice, or was that a directive from Wellington Rugby or New Zealand Rugby? And if that's the case, uh, are all your teammates in the same boat? Would you know? Um, it, that was my choice. Um, that's yeah, looking after my family and making sure that um, you know we don't we don't get sick and um, you know uh, look after ourselves and. Being able to walk the streets, you know, freely. So, um, yeah, 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 my, uh, yeah, my, yeah. It was, it was, it was easy for me. So, yeah. Hey, look, that's good. That's cool. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, hey, look, thanks very much for your time, Julian, this morning. I know uh, it's a difficult time, but th- thanks for sharing an insight. Yeah, you're a typical um, a young man with a young family, and and trying to just get through these uh, terrible times uh, in the best way that you can. So, and stay fit at the same time. So. That's the extra thing for you. Hey, Julian Sevilla, thanks thanks very much. Guys, go well, stay Thank safe. Thank you so much. Thank you very hey, much, cheers, man. man. Thank you. Yep, good Rongatai College man there. Um, Julian Sevilla, Adi Sevilla, Man Nonu, Grant Nisbet. Mm, yeah, there's some great ones along the line there. Uh, look, text 8833. There's a number of things uh, you can come at uh, this morning with. Uh, the name change thing, it's not going to go away until the concept of changing it goes away. I don't think anyway, so please... Uh, you know, we've only had one-way traffic here. It, people are against the name being of the all-whites being changed. Uh, because remember this, uh, for another underlying factor here is if it goes through and they change it, what will be next? What will be next? So you know, bear that in mind. Can you possibly think, could you possibly think that the All Blacks then, in uh, the spirit of equality, have to change their name? Could you? Could you possibly think that? 8833-0800-150811. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of uh, texts have come in. Uh, one saying, uh, well said, Smithy, haven't heard one person who's keen to change the name. Um, you know, that's referring to the All Whites thing. Uh, and the same bloke, actually, has come back in, Costa. Thanks very much for your communication, Costa. So good to hear. The bus he has often been criticised and sometimes re- really unfairly. He, as a Hurricanes fan, I'm stoked he's back playing for the team that he loves. Yeah, well, he, he is a passionate bloke. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And he's all about family and, you know, the, uh, the brotherhood that uh, has existed in uh, Wellington Rugby and the Hurricanes uh, for quite some time. And he's probably one of the better examples of it. He's had some ups and downs on his playing career, but, um, uh, he, you know, he's, he seems to be um, on the right track now. I'm not quite sure whether he'll ever uh, be an all-black again or whether even he thinks about that, but uh, he's certainly one of a number of fantastic wingers uh, that we have in this country at the moment. Uh, Paralympics, of course, uh, are coming up very shortly. New Zealand team will not be attending the opening ceremony tonight uh, in an effort to keep their team safe. Isn't that, there's a bit of irony in that, isn't there? Keep them safe possible in the light of growing numbers in, in, in Tokyo of, of COVID numbers. Uh, so they won't be going there. Uh, so they won't have uh, traditional flag bearers of, as they've had in the past at the opening ceremony. They have uh, Sophie Pascoe and William Steadman as hapaikara, uh, which are effectively team leaders. They have another two or three uh, people in the group as well who are basically like team captains who um, are going to run the cutter from the athlete's point of view. So a lot of challenges there for them, as you would expect anyway. 
um, but uh, they'll get through and, and no doubt <coughs> no doubt we'll have a lot more medals and uh, that will bring up the old uh, the old chestnut which will be uh, is Sophie Pascoe um, more success more successful uh, than Lisa Carrington John which will uh, I, I suppose that uh, argument will come up again but I'm not quite sure you can compare them because they're totally two different events is it I, I don't know I, one or the other I, I don't know it's one of, it's another one of those borderline type decisions or those subjects isn't it yeah absolutely I mean they're brilliant in their own rights I guess they're two different competitions the Paralympics and the Olympics so you can't really compare but I guess you've got to that's the business we're in aren't we Smithy we uh, got to make these big calls and who's got more medals um do you, is it that simple uh, who's got more medals on the board? Who's broken world records? Sophie Pascoe, it's it's hard to beat her CV, what she's been able to achieve during her career, and she'll be one of the many stars in the New Zealand team. Um, yeah, opening ceremony tonight and competition gets underway tomorrow. Uh, Cody Everson, talked to him yesterday, captain of the Wheel Blacks. Um, I think he's part of that leadership group as well, Smithy. So looking forward to seeing how he goes and all our athletes over there in Japan. Yep, okay, right, um, news coming through uh, on teams participating uh, overseas. Um, uh, the White Ferns have been beaten by England, eh? That's not a great start, is it? By four wickets in the 50-over warm-up game in Derby. I think a better place to play than Derby, but at least they're playing. Uh, Susie Bates top-scored New Zealand's innings. They batted first, dismissed for 223 uh, on the penultimate ball of the first innings. So Bates' uh, top-scoring was 70. Uh, she'd been out of the game for 10 months, so that's a great sign. That's the real plus. The fact that they lost, not so good, couldn't protect that score. But having said that, um, Susie Bates back, back playing uh, international cricket. That can only be good. Uh, Hi, Smithy says Carl. I'm not saying you, as I, I'm not saying you as I didn't know your view on it. But a lot of journalists who were vocal for the Crusaders' name and logo to be changed are vocal against the All-Whites, a change of the All-Whites name. To me, the Crusaders one was stupid, as this was, uh, as this one is, but the Juno start, started the Crusaders pile on, so a bit of the blame of this nonsense has to be on them. Okay, yeah, that's fine, Carlo. I get your appreciation. I didn't read that very well, but uh, the gist of the matter is uh, what you're saying. Uh, look, I, I was against the, the name of the Crusaders changing. I just did not see the logic in that, uh, you know. Uh, where's it going to stop? That's the thing. Where's it going to stop? We all know that there were conflicts in the past. We all know that there were issues in the past. But we've lived with them for hundreds of damn years throughout history. Why now, all of a sudden, does it become such a sensitive damn issue that we have to contemplate changing history uh, and changing names, etc.? Uh, what gives us the power to do that? What gives us the, you know, the right to do that? That's the thing. I'm, not, I'm starting to sound a bit grumpy here. I didn't really want to, but it just sticks in my craw, this kind of stuff. It, it, ugh, I think we'd better take the news. It's safer that way. 9.32 here on SENZ and uh, the latest uh, PGA event, the Northern Trust, is still is still getting towards the end of its uh, final stages. Yesterday, of course, it would normally have finished, but they had uh, terrible weather uh, over there in that part of the United States. So they made the common sense decision to rule out uh, that, that completion date and just transfer it over. 
Uh, and uh, the reason why they've done that will be explained to us very carefully now by one Philip Tautarangi, who uh, is with us on the line. Uh, not very often this happens. Sometimes they would just uh, conclude the event, Phil, after three rounds. But this one has special significance, uh, bearing in mind the time of the year and what they're playing for. Good morning. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. It's the start of the playoffs, um, albeit um, not really the a traditional kind of playoffs. There's 125 guys that teared up at the start of the week. They've, they've earned the right to uh, to be in that field. 50 odd will drop out after this week, whether you missed the cut or you didn't, um, and you'll advance to the next round. So, I guess golf's version of playoffs is, is not kind of quite like the uh, a knockout version of playoffs in, in other sports. Albeit, yep, look, we're coming to the kind of business end of the season, and um, kind of business as usual pretty much throughout the course of the year, this year if he hasn't kind of tested um, or a test has come back saying that he's got COVID, let's make that clear uh, John Rowan finds himself atop the leaderboard as we've kind of seen him on a number of occasions this year OK let's uh, talk a, a little bit about John Rahm, uh, you know it, it seems to me that there will be a time in your career if you're that good you may well occupy the number one spot and we've seen two or three of them uh, in the last uh, 15 months. We've got, had Dustin Johnson involved there as well. Justin Thomas has been floating around. Is it a, a, just a, a form thing, you know, in terms of that? Or was, what do you see in John Rahm's game that, that makes him at the moment clearly number one? Yeah, a lot of things, Smithy. And, and you mentioned about the other players that have kind of had brief uh, kind of standings at the top of the, the, the world rankings. Dustin Johnson's been the one that's kind of held that top spot for a little over a year or so until the middle part of this year and, and has been one of the dominant players really to be fair over the last 10 years on the PGA Tour. For John Rahm, he's been one that over the last few years, if you could harness his mind um, and kind of channel that energy in the right direction, he's certainly got all the physical skills. And I think that's been the big the big growing up for him, the big maturing uh, of, of 2021, um, where John Rahm has, has, has managed to control his game from the shoulders up. Certainly the, his, his form with his ball striking, his putting, he put a new putter in the bag with the, the team at Callaway that he's worked with, um, put a new putter in the bag right before the US Open. Um, right after that, uh, the Memorial Tournament, where he got marooned with a six-shot lead um, because of a... Um, positive COVID test and uh, put a new putter in the bag when he came to Torrey Pines and he hasn't looked back since. So picking up that first major championship is a little bit of a weight off your shoulders too when a lot of people have been asking when are you going to break that egg and uh, and get over the hump and it, it may well be a period of time now for John Rahm. He's become a, not only a husband but a parent and looks like he's got a different perspective, perspective on not only uh, his life but his career and we've seen a number of players in the last, um, well, throughout the, the, the history of the game when all of a sudden golf takes on a, to- a totally different um, priority in their lives, they actually get better. And, and I think for John Rahm, if he can stay injury-free, um, we may well see him, if not the top, uh, top, top of the standings, somewhere inside of the top five for a long time yet. John Rahm currently, folks, is at 20 under after... 13 holes, Tony Finau, a fine player in his own right, very fine player, but uh, doesn't win that often, minus 19 after 
14 holes and uh, the Australian Cameron Smith is 18 under after 13 holes as well. So that basically uh, that's your, your group of top three that will probably, uh, I would think, uh, the winner will come from that group, barring emergencies or catastrophes as we speak. Uh, one of the other things I'd, I'd like to talk to you about is the influence of caddies uh, in mm. the game these days, uh, Phil, because it's a really interesting subject now. Uh, they, for me, they're becoming much, much more apparent much, much more recognisable. Uh, we always knew about uh, Steve Williams, of course, uh, Fluff Cowan, uh, Bones, uh, Jim McKay. Uh, we, we know all about those guys, but it seems to me that on a daily basis, caddies are becoming more prominent. Uh, is it because of the television coverage? I don't know. But you see them starting to read putts more. Uh, you see them with green books out, with yardages out, etc., etc. Um, they're bigger, uh, getting bigger, I think, or is it just my imagination? Yeah, good, good call, Smithy, and a good question, actually. Um, and, and I think you're right. I, I go back 15, 20 years or so when I was in the middle of my career on tour, and um, yeah, there were a handful of, of big name caddies, and they caddied for the big name players. Um, but for the most part, there was a pool of caddies that, that, that worked for the other 100 guys. And it seems like now that a lot of players have a lot of friends on the back, whether they are guys that they've develop the friendship with when being around the tour or whether they've guys that have come with them on the uh, on their journey up through the Corn Ferry tour and, and on the um, on the you know through college they've got a lot of mates that, that are, are practice buddies from home and it seems like the relationship goes beyond what the, the skill set of a caddy is. And and I think you know with with all of the different demands that we've seen on players and I say demands um, I guess all the different conditions and restrictions they've been playing under over the last uh, 12 months or so having a friend having someone that you can talk with uh, um, and and analyze your game work with on your game some of them become their coaches pseudo coaches right um, because they spend so much time with them um, that uh, that you've got to have someone that can contribute a lot more than just giving you a good yardage and so I think the role of the caddy has become considerably different um, over time. There's been a lot more information that's become available to players. I mean, the, the, the toughest job in the, in the game is caddying for Bryson DeChambeau with, with the amount of information that he likes to digest before hitting a shot. I mean, you, you quite literally have got to be Albert Einstein um, to be able to go through some of those numbers. And so... Uh, not every player and caddy relationship is the same as that, but I think there's a lot more information that are that's available for players to elevate their performance, and so therefore, um, you know that that connection, that relationship, um, the player caddy component, it's just another member of your team, and um, and, and it's it's an interesting one. I think certainly TV coverage has has made those guys that have been on on the bags of the top players a lot more prominent. We've certainly seen that. People um, like to see golf as a game that you know is moving at a, at a greater pace, and I mean that on the course. They they don't like the five, six, seven hour rounds because uh, that's not the way people want to watch sport these days. They want to see it something happening all the time. Phil, green books, uh, green books, and every yeah. as you say, more and more information. Green books uh, take time to read. They take time to analyse. Um, you know, that can only slow the game down. Uh, there has been a school of thought to get rid of those amongst some of the pros in particular. I think Rory McIlroy has won to say, let's get rid of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, what's your feeling on that? Let's make it really short and sharp. <laughs> let's get rid of them, Smithy. Um, 
look, as as commentators, it's always nice to have that little bit of information to be able to help fill in the the picture um, and and maybe provide a little bit of, uh, you know, I I guess insight as to what might happen um, and certainly reasons for what, why things have happened, but I think for players, the the you're right. Slows down the game uh, for caddies. They they can make things a little bit more complicated. Yes, is it information to try and improve performance? Absolutely, absolutely. But um, I think the the players themselves are equally skillful. That uh, by by providing that sort of information, you actually take a little bit away from the game. And uh, and, and reading greens is still an art. It's still a skill. And I think the more we turn that into science, the, uh, the, the game's not better because of it. Oh, totally agree. Absolutely, totally agree. I can't abide them, but uh, I'm not a professional golfer. I never will be, but they just <laughs> don't look right to me. Uh, hey, no, New Zealanders no. in action. <laughs> New Zealanders in action, fella. Yeah. I, did I read? I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw Danny Lee uh, in a field over the weekend, so is he on his way back yeah. from injury? Did I also see, did I also see Stephen Olker? Uh, playing in the in the Champions Tour, um, which was uh, a bit of a surprise to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and of course, Lydia's uh, performance at the Open. What, what did you make of those yeah. three things I've just brought up? Yeah, yeah. Look, ra- round the bases, let's start with Steve. Yeah, he's, um, he's in the over-50 brigade uh, now, so um, was contending in that uh, late, latest uh, Champions Tour event. Uh, finished three back of Rod Pampling, who ended up winning. So Steve uh, had the Monday qualify. Uh, he just turned 50 a couple of weeks ago. And so he's at that stage. He'll be kind of riding between the uh, the Corn Ferry events and uh, the Champions Tour next year. He'll be going to Champions Tour qualifying school in a month or so. You've mentioned Danny Lee. Well, Danny's kind of had a couple of injuries in the last 12 months. He had that wrist injury after the incident, shall we say, at, uh, at Wingfoot last year and, and posted some photos on Instagram of a, of a fractured rib a couple of months ago, that seems to have calmed down. So he's in the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs trying to earn a full card back on the PGA Tour. He has a medical exemption where he'll have some starts to play next year and, of course, as a past champion and get a few starts. But he's got a three-tournament series to try and uh, earn a full card back on the PGA Tour. He finished tie for 69, so that's not going to give him too much of a leg up on the next couple of weeks. And you mentioned Lydia at the, uh, at the Women's Open a uh, pretty scratchy scorecard. In actual fact, she had kind of scorecards that resembled Foxy or, or Danny Lee. A lot of bogeys, a lot of birdies um, over the course of last week. I think the greens may not have been to her liking um, in that they're a little bit slower at Carnoustie. Um, and so she finished at two under par, middle of the pack, so to speak. And so uh, she's got a little bit of a break now. Um, the, the Solheim Cup is coming up, and those teams were announced um, after the uh, women's Open Championship, and um, and so she's got a little bit of a break now before she fires up the Jets with a run to the end of the LPGA Tour season. Well, Tafarangi, as always, pleasure talking with you, my friend. Uh, 7 o'clock Saturday mornings, teared up with Phil. Get all your latest information. Uh, correspond with Phil on Saturday mornings, if you like. Uh, so uh, coming to the close of uh, a lot of the seasons uh, in terms of golf, and then, of course, they have about... Uh, 30 seconds off and they start thinking about the next one. Phil, always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. And just can I just add in, weigh in here as a proud New Zealander, yep. uh, not a follower of football too much, but uh, I'm a New Zealander of Māori descent 
put my name down as keeping the all-whites as the all-whites. Well do, sir. Well do. I cannot go ahead with uh, the thought of uh, trying to change the national sports team's name purely based upon colour. Thank you. Thank you. Really do appreciate that sentiment, um, as everyone does. Phil Tatarangi there, 9.45. Your texts and messages next. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10 minutes to 10 here on SENZ, uh, four texts in particular. Uh, first of all, um, the nice one, uh, Sophie Pascoe is the best of maybe 5% of eligible athletes worldwide, uh, i.e. para-athletes, whereas uh, Lisa is the best of 95% of the world's population. That's from Pete, so that's balancing up that argument. Uh, whether if Sophie Pascoe wins more medals, and she will at these Paralympics starting tonight, uh, and our uh, best wishes to go to her and the whole team. Uh, whether, of course, um, you know she's better than Lisa Carrington. I think it's very, very hard to compare. Uh, totally different arenas, although uh, at the end of the day, wanting to come home with uh, medals around their neck, and uh, Lisa already has. Sophie, obviously, will. Uh, now let's get on to this name change thing. Uh, and this is it's starting to develop into what you would expect it to develop. Uh, it's 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 a, a racial issue, and the re- one of the reasons it's it's a, it's a racial issue is because of the fact um, that New Zealand football have brought it up. Uh, hi, if all whites if the all whites get the chop, Aotearoa, land of the long white cloud, may need modification as well. A real can of worms uh, for the woke. Cheers. Uh, morning, Smithy. Why do these name changes always reflect on history and the horrible things that went on? All these teams, all whites, all blacks, black caps, etc., have also created history in that name, and none of it's bad. Hopefully common sense will prevail. Good one, uh, Keith. Uh, Hi, Smithy. Uh, Don't you get sick of all these bloody people that think they have the right to put their opinions on the public who generally wouldn't even uh, give changing the all-whites name a second thought. I'm with you. Give them the cockroach treatment. (laughs) Cheers, Dave from Karaka. Keep up the great show, pity about the multis, ha-ha. Well, on that subject, multi-time after the break. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we're still alive in yesterday's multi uh, because uh, the last leg, Swansea, will be playing Plymouth Argyle about 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. So uh, that uh, market was up nice and early yesterday and uh, that multi won't conclude. Uh, still alive, uh, Cleveland beating the Angels uh, at 176. And the Thucks are beating uh, FC Juarez. Juarez, uh, $1.60. That's Mexican League. Uh, yes, and uh, that's a $4.56 one, which is still swinging. Good news. Uh, today, the Astros will beat the Royals at a buck thirty-eight. Houston Astros to beat the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Richard Gasquet will beat uh, Igor Garasimov. Uh, that's ATP tennis. Uh, it's a uh, dollar forty-nine. Um, and two football games, which will also be played overnight. So uh, our multis will have big conclusions tomorrow morning. Uh, Brentford to beat the uh, Forest Green Rovers. That's a dollar thirty-six. As is Aston Villa to beat Barrow at a dollar thirty-six. So that four-pronged multi will uh, realise $3.74. So uh, if they both come to pass, uh, it's going to be a cool morning. Break out the champagne, pop the corks, 
Uh, yeah, so um, that is uh, really us in the first hour, John. Uh, a couple of people coming in on uh, on a different tack saying, I uh, wish uh, radio spent as much time talking about the issue of racism in sport uh, as they did on football teams' names. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, obviously, there when you have issues, you're going to have people on both sides of the ledger. Yeah, that was Sam from Sam Napier sending uh-huh. that in. Um, yeah, interesting, okay. interesting yeah. comment. Um, you know, I, I guess it is just a name at the end of the day, but this is a name that's really important to some people, Smithy. And we're going to talk to Winton Roofer uh, just after eleven o'clock, and he was part of that original all-white side, and he is a proud Maori. So, be interesting to hear what he has to say. Yeah, well, I'm um, looking forward to that. Bit of a Rongatai College reunion, actually, with Julian Severe and uh, Winton Rufa. Of course, uh, Julian Severe going uh, to uh, Rongatai College. Adi Severe, Rongatai College. Winton Rufa, Rongatai College. Shane Rufa, Rongatai College. Get the drift. Brothers at Rongatai College. Get it? Get it? Uh, yeah, interesting. So, uh, after the break, we will be talking to Sean Maloney, Stan Sport commentator on rugby. How is that relationship? What, what do you think the uh, Aussies are thinking of New Zealand rugby at the time? Have they reached a lovely little agreement there where everything's back on track? We shall see what Sean Maloney thinks about the whole deal. 9.59 coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings, 9 to 12. Ten oh three here, uh, New Zealand time on SCNZ. Uh, slightly uh, earlier in Australia, of course, uh, which is where we're heading uh, as we speak. Uh, it's been described as an unhappy marriage, but New Zealand rugby and Rugby Australia appear to be getting on well enough to make some progress with the rugby championship and Super Rugby overnight. So right here and now, we're handing out an olive branch uh, to one of our colleagues. This time from Stan Sport. Uh, rugby commentator Sean Maloney. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, is our relationship is, is it on the mend? Are we talking? Um, well, our relationship between uh, your guys and ours on the broadcast front has never been better. But obviously, on uh, that mix of up at the governance level, I, I don't know, Smithy. I think there's still a lot to come from this. Uh, people have been hurt along the way, and uh, I think it's going to take a little bit more time, a little bit more war under the bridge before it. Uh, it's fully mended, but hey, guess what? You and I got some stuff through next Saturday or Sunday, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. We're going to be describing some actual sport, which is absolutely uh, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, how does how does this work? The the, the All Blacks. Uh, how long is a period of quarantine coming from like Auckland to Perth? Because uh, obviously, it's going to be an abbreviated one, is it, or is it just the standard one? Well, it's going to have to be a abbreviated, Smithy, because he, uh, the Premier over there in Perth, is one of the more hardline Premiers when it comes to COVID in Australia, Mark McGowan. So uh, they're, doing, they're lucky to, to be able to get through that because normally it's that full hard 14 days. Uh, then we'll obviously spin back to Queensland. So it looks like we're going to have Queensland as the destination for the TRC, which is also some really good news to come out of the last couple of days and last few days of real niggle. We had uh, Rob Nicol on uh, yesterday, Sean. He's the boss of the uh, New Zealand Rugby Players Association. They're pretty powerful, there's no doubt about it. I imagine uh, your equivalent over there too has a fair amount of say into what goes on. Uh, he, was, he was defending the All Blacks' decision not to travel to Perth. 
last time around. Uh, what what was uh, your feeling about that? Because obviously people like Dave Rennie and that were not that warm about it. Yeah, I wasn't big on it either. The thing that really threw me, Smithy, and threw a lot of us over this side, just reading some of the reports that have come out on the other side of it, was around things like vaccinations and not being able to get them into the arms of some of the All Blacks players ahead of them travelling out, which I found to be, and a lot of us found to be, uh, quite interesting given, you know, our perception of how, uh, you know, how headlined those guys are in the New Zealand sporting landscape and how important we thought it would be for them to be ready to go and play in a third letters low. So that threw us. So did you, did you get a chance to ask that question of him yesterday when you spoke to him? Yeah, well, we, we broached that, that whole subject, actually. Uh, he explained himself pretty well. I mean, he's very, very good. Uh, he, he's handled these situations uh, very well. So, you know, he, he talked uh, the justification about the whole deal. And, and one of his, the big arguments, of course, was the, uh, the, uh, the inclusion of South Africa and Argentina in the group-type decision. So uh, he didn't see it, um, from this point of view, as, as being much of an issue at all. But Dave Rennie did. Um, you know, and Dave Rennie usually takes things in his stride. The Dave Rennie we know, he just usually just gets on with business, doesn't make those kind of decisions. But he was pretty hot under the collar about it, and I can kind of see why. I mean, here's a here's a coach who's brought a team over here to a place where they just don't seem to be able to win twice in a week, uh, <laughs> and then of course when it's when it's your turn to to try and get them back uh, and take them to Perth, where Australia has just recently beaten them. Uh, you can't do it. I yeah, no, as you say, you've you've, um, you've covered him and covered games that uh, Renz has been involved in for a long, long time, and it was a it was a really rare outburst on that front. And you know, the majority of us think it's totally justified on his side. So, uh, I, I guess though, as as we touched on at the beginning, Smithy, we do get a chance to see them go head to head. Uh, dependent on what will happen with an AFL final series over there, whether it'll be I think Saturday or Sunday next week, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it's a little tighter than it was at Eden Park through those first two matchups. Well, what I do know about Perth is they've got a couple of pretty, pretty damn fine uh, rugby type venues. If it can't be Optus, uh, Subiaco, I mean they've got facilities mm. there. But tell us about. Uh, the ability of Queensland, with everything that's going on in Queensland at the moment, Queensland to cater for a rugby championship and get the best benefit out of it? Well, the best way of looking at this, Smithy, I reckon, is to remember how well the NRL have been able to move their party and their circus through Queensland across the last, or essentially it's been through the last six or seven weeks. So I don't think there'll be any issue on that front. Three really good venues that they'll like to lean on, being Suncorp, the Gold Coast, and Townsville. Geez, you'd love Townsville, Smithy. Beautiful part of mm. uh, QLD and great stadium up there. We were up there for the Oceania Sevens earlier this year. So that looks set to get some game time as well. It, it's, uh, but it's all dependent on COVID. I mean, we're only one uh, Delta case away from it going the other direction so fingers crossed uh we're just we can just ram and run them through and get the completion to the championship uh so can we go to the super rugby format that has uh, been leaked uh apparently I, I put the word leaked in the inverted commas here for next year each team will play 14 games uh, they'll play everyone once uh, as well as three teams uh, twice three randomly picked teams twice uh, what do you make of this format? Uh, bearing in mind also Pacifica uh, uh, teams are, are coming in and minor Pacifica teams are coming in to join the fray. 
Well, I love the addition of those two new teams. Love that we're going to get a chance to see those guys more regularly. The only the only criticism I have of it is that we start with 12 and then we go to eight in the final series. I think it needs to be a little bit more... I don't know, cutthroat. I think it's almost like it's a participant. For me, it's almost like it's, you know, everyone gets a shot at it, only four dropping out. I just like to see it a little bit tighter when it comes to that finals. What is, what's your take on it? Yeah, uh, look, I, I kind of think that, uh, this will be perfectly honest, it's going to be very hard initially for the Moana Pacifica teams um, to, to be up to the pace week after week. I can see them making strong uh, cases and play very well on occasions, but... Uh, getting to that final eight situation uh, is really uh, going to be a, a tough ask to do it because you have to be good a heck of a lot, uh, particularly of that mm. quality of opposition. Um, the, the other thing that, uh, so basically I can think probably barring something miraculous happening from, happening from those two teams, you're down to 10 then really, aren't you? Um, so mm -hmm. you look at eight, eight, eight from 10. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting one to, to perceive. Is it, is, is it tough enough? Uh, uh, should you be better? I mean, when you look at um, eight from, what is it, 18 teams uh, in the NRL, uh, 16 yeah. teams in the NRL, you're talking eight from 12 here and effectively eight from 10. I, I get where you're coming from. I do. It's, and, it's, and it's tricky for us as broadcasters as well because you're not talking down the product. You love the product, but you also want to, in your, you know, you want to see what you perceive to be the best outcome and, I just think, yeah, I think maybe if they can get, get it to six of the 12 for the finals, then it's a bit more cutthroat, and then it just sort of means a little bit more on the way through. That's just my, that's my personal opinion, my personal view on it. But I think, yeah, eight of 12 is a little bit too much. Right, it seems now this uh, Let Us Low Cup 3 is going to go ahead, and hopefully it'll be in front of a packed house so everyone can maximise the benefits. After all, it's gone on. I think that's the key, Sean. Uh, do you see um, Australia turning this around? Uh, they've had a little bit more time together within their bubble. Uh, they'll be a little bit more determined. They can take some pluses from Eden Park, but they still scored, they still conceded a heck of a load of points along the way there. W w what, do you, what do you see as their biggest problem about trying to get one back? Oh, Smithy. Uh, the, show, the show doesn't go long enough for us to pull it apart, unfortunately. But I think just those key moments, and you would have seen that at Eden Park, particularly that second test, and a lot of us are still, you know, like two and a half, three weeks on from it, scratching our heads around that moment in the 42nd minute where Artie got binned. Uh, it was a six-point game. Rather than, taking three, rather than taking three points or a scrum with a man advantage after they'd done so well with the scrum ahead of half-time, uh, the Wallabies went to the line-out, lost it, and then basically that was the end of the game. That was the big turning point. So as Wallabies fans, we just hope that they can execute those tiny moments to better effect and then hopefully get a result on the other side of it. That's, that's what we hang on to and then try and find a way to shore up that defence. They, they got involved in the game. That when they, they know when they start to chase, it's going to be a nightmare situation against the All Blacks. So hopefully it doesn't get to that stage and we can keep it nice and uh, nice and squeaky through the very last. So these decisions are... You know, I know that there's a lot of communication uh, at the moment when you consider, you know, uh, people on the sideline, people going out into the middle, people passing on messages, etc. But they're mm. still very much on the field decisions. Um, these are Michael Hooper type decisions. There was another classic case there where, where the Wallabies could have actually kicked for field position and Tom Banks took a quick tap and it all turned to custard there. <laughs> uh, you know, there was... 
I, I, I kind of thought that that was a bad move, and I just... <laughs> Don't make me relive it. <laughs> I'm only just getting four nights of sleep back in. Don't make me relive it. <laughs> but, but you, mate, but, you're right. Yeah, the, like, <laughs> you're 100% right, so... When I know the exact moment you're talking about. They're 60 out, and they spin it wide from a full-arm penalty. Uh, and I'm there in the commentary box. I've got Merck to my immediate right, then Justin Harrison and, and Morgan Turinui, all of who you know played for their country for the high-level for a long period of time. And, and the look of bewilderment on their faces kind of, to me, says it all. So I, I, don't, I don't know. But the other thing that's, I guess, worth remembering is that Hooch is out there, sure, he's going to pass 100 tests now. But also James Slippers passed 100 tests, maybe to Omuas, you know, well up over 50. Like there, there are guys, mm. with, I know it's a young team, but there are guys in there with a lot of rugby IP and a lot of experience. And I'm just wondering how between, you know, those guys who've got that number of test caps under their belt, they can't kind of read the room a little bit just on some of those decisions. Who okay? We've um, you know we've picked up uh, a couple of wins against you guys. Uh, South Africa have picked up predictable wins, comfortable wins against Argentina. Mm. What do you? Who do you perceive as being uh, the favourite for this tournament now um, that it's going to be played on neutral ground for those two teams that are front runners at the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's such a it's such a contrast in the terms of types of play. Obviously, having had watched every minute of every available game through the Test season so far, is it that hard nosed defence and that turnover focus footy of South Africa, or is it the fast moving play of NZ and who adapts to whose game plan? Like who? Mate, I, I love not knowing. I, I've got them. I reckon I've got them both uh, as equal favourites, obviously, to, to win that rugby championship. I can't, I can't split them. I don't know, I don't know who wins out in the long term. That, that defence or that flair and uh, ability to, to to transfer the ball so quickly and strike so beautifully the way the All Blacks do. I don't, I'm not sure about you guys, but one of the big things on Monday mornings when we're reflecting on the whole thing, we talk about refereeing decisions. We talk about the uh, how the game was officiated, which I don't think Sean is a a hell of a good thing to do, but it's just a fact of life. Would you know mm. offhand um, if the, all the officials uh, will be uh, Australian? Uh, have they thought far enough ahead to get uh, officials within the bubbles or quarantining uh, to, to that extent? Because it could be quite valid. That is a great question. That is a super question. I would, I would suggest that we'd be deferring back to what we had over here last year, which from memory was a... Was the combination of both Australian and New Zealand across each of those games for the rugby championship that we hosted here last year? Can you remember, Smith? I can't. I can't spin it back that far. I struggle going back a week now in the middle of lockdown. But I reckon it would probably have to. Wouldn't it be the same as last year? Well, it can only. It, you know, it w- would have to be. A, I would be leaning towards um, that fact. But I, I do. You know, I think that was one of the biggest issues. Uh, when uh, Australia came to New Zealand, of course, they thought to bring the teams uh, and they got that economic exemption which got everyone in, but they didn't think to uh, to bring in um, at least uh, one referee to the extent where um, you know New Zealand referees um, uh, were in control of both games, New Zealand officials in both teams. And I, I'm pretty sure uh, that kind of thing surely will be taken into account, but I, I was just sort of um, seeking some advice. So from Australia's point of view, uh, Sean, just finally, 
uh, what chance of being the spoiler here? What what chance of, of Australia really uh, now that they've got some sort of uh, home advantage over an elongated period? It's like a mini World Cup for God's sake. What chance Australia being in here? Uh, I think the bookies. I know that you don't mind having a punt, Smithy. I think the bookies have them around <laughs> seven or eight to one head to head, and I reckon that's about the right price for the Wallabies against the All Blacks over there in Perth. I tell you what, though, mate. It, uh, if you can spin it back to 2019, remember how amazing the atmosphere and the crowd was over there. If, if it does go ahead at Optus, which I'm certain it will have to, uh, we're set for a fun afternoon, that's for sure. And just, just, to, just to make sure that your day continues on an update, what was that score? <laughs> also, I've, got, I've got the Wallabies at 7 or 8 to 1 outsiders, but they'll win. Oh, the, the game over there back then was, what was it? 47-26 full-time, I think it was. You know what? I'll, I'll tip a repeat of that for you, Smithy. The Wallabies to beat them by the same margin in 2021. So is that you're tipping one of our guys to get sent off early in the game as well, then, are you? <laughs> I'm wishing you only half of them to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sean, been great chatting, great chatting to you, buddy. Uh, go well. At least you're going to have some uh, some live sport to, to, to talk about very short, shortly of the highest order. All going well. We put our hands together and pray for that, Sean Maloney. Great catching up with you, pal. Good luck. Yeah, love your work too, Smithy. Great to chat, mate. Yeah, good on you. That's Sean Maloney, of course, from Stan Sport these days, works alongside... Um, Timmy Horan, uh, Jason, uh, Jason Harrison. Uh, we've also uh, talked about a fellow by the name of Andrew Mertens in their commentary team as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, the other voices that you hear coming in from Australia these days. Sean, Sean Maloney uh, is the play-by-play commentator. 10.19 here on SENZ as we make our way through the morning in lockdown. Uh, our panel uh, coming up very shortly. Uh, two very, very, very talented people Interesting people, uh, Nikki Stylus and Nathan Narari. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.24 here on SCNZ and it is panel time and this morning we have so much talent it'll take forever to introduce them. Apart from to say Nikki Stylus uh, is with us here from News Hub. Uh, Nathan Rariri, I could uh, lead, uh, read out a list as long as my arm on uh, his portfolio, but currently uh, Nathan Rariri is with Radio New Zealand's First Up show, uh, and that, of course, is uh, very popular, but very early on in the piece. Uh, the first thing I'll go to uh, Nikki Storis, because uh, on the subject of uh, work and, and that kind of thing, of course, Duncan Garner is leaving the AM show, and we're all saying, <laughs> step up, Nikki Storis. Please, step up. <laughs> oh, well, well, I'll take that as a wonderful compliment, thanks, Smitty, but, but no thanks. Um, yeah, I'm trying to slowly retire out of work, not, not ramp it up. And to be honest, those hours are pretty bloody brutal, and I'm, I'm actually not surprised to see Duncan go. Lasting five years in that role is uh, pretty impressive, just as it stands. But uh, I certainly do like my fill-ins, and I get lots of nice compliments when I replace Mark Richardson, which is understandable, I don't look at it that way. See, Nikki, I look at it. I think I, I look at it this way: you take a lot of time off, and Mark Richardson fills in for you. That's what I look. How I look at it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, brother. You're in a good mood today. Well, yeah. Hey, listen. Um, 
here's the here's the thing, Nathan Rarari, and first time on the panel for me, and it's been a long time coming as far as I'm concerned. No one in New Zealand knows more about American sport. Uh, but what I want to ask you uh, initially about uh, my old workmate uh, is uh, yeah. bubble time, lockdown time in the Rarari household because you have a fairly young family still. Yeah, I've um, I've actually spent most of um, my time answering messages and texts from people going, hey, why did Ghana really quit? Um, so that's really filled my last 24 hours. And the answer for all the rest of you is, I don't know, maybe he got tired. Uh, they're really hard hours. I work them as well. And if you've ever seen me, you'll be quite surprised to know I'm actually only 24 years old and this is what it does to you um, constantly getting up it just does this to your face and that but no no we're pretty good like um we've been in and out of lockdowns in in Auckland um as you know since last year so the kids school has got a great plan when it comes to online learning so you know Darcy and Ryla are up at the table right now all plugged in and set to go they have their their little zoom meetings where they can wave to their mates and that kind of stuff so we're, we're just pretty much in that I was just kind of thinking mainly for people down country if you haven't been in it before it's just that whole learning to just slow down you know after the couple of days it's fine if you don't do 17 things a day so that's what I'm adhering to is uh, doing a bit of that and if I get tired and I want to nap what I do is I watch the Boer War spelled B-O-R-E which was that that lion series against South Africa goodness me if you want you need an afternoon nap just put that on you, you won't make it to what halfway through the first half <laughs> uh, okay I understand exactly where you're coming from there. Uh, look, uh, here, yeah. here's the most emotive issue we're dealing with at the moment, Nikki Styrus, the all-whites and the possibility of mm. a name change. Now, I, I can, you know, uh, I can understand the, the, the sentiments behind it, I think, but if, if is this opening a, a biggest can of worms of all time in New Zealand sport, trying to change traditional old names? Well... I think the can's already been opened, Smithy, and some of the worms are already crawling out. Um, I mean, we saw it with the Crusaders. They didn't change the name, but they changed the logo. And so, yeah, I guess that that started, and it's part of this whole woke society that we now live in. And, and there are times when I think it's justified, and there are times when I think it's not. And I don't think it's justified in the case of the all-whites. I mean, I guess the question is, you have to ask yourself, what is behind the name? Is about the jersey colour, or is it about the meaning behind the actual words? So that, to me, is how you have to look at it. Does, you know, the All Blacks, they're called the All Blacks because they have a full black kit. The Blues are not called the Blues because they um, are dealing with uh, mental mental health. They're dealing, they have an all blue kit. And I feel like the All Whites, steeped in history, is has the same connotation. You know, they... They took on that name, but you'll remember this, back in 1982 when they first wore that full white kit in their World Cup qualifiers. And, and I think that that was the history that you know began the tradition of the All-Whites. And I would be really sad for the players who have come through that time to see that name just disappear because a few people out there thinking it has some sort of racist connotation, I just think they're overthinking it. You know, like, you know there, are, there are times when you go, OK, well, maybe the Redskins or maybe... Maybe the you know Clevelandians needed to change its name because it had a direct relationship with a particular race of people, but in my view, this is about the colour. And you know, if you're going to change your white's name, you might as well start changing the all blacks' names too, because that's reverse discrimination, if you ask me. 
Well, that's interesting because uh, if I get to that point, um, all hell will let <laughs> cut loose, I would imagine, Nikki. And Nathan, you, <laughs> you're over this as well because you follow uh, American sport very closely, as I alluded yeah. to earlier. Uh, and this has happened uh, in America with a couple of very high-profile historic names in sport. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for starters, the, the Redskin name is incredibly insulting. Um, and it was used pretty much as a uh, to, to describing the First Nations of the United States as an N-word kind of deal. So I can definitely see why that one goes. They often go to the ice hockey as well and talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. But I, I think it, it kind of depends what you're talking about because Blackhawk, he was one of the biggest... Tri- um, he was one of the most famous war chiefs uh, in that tr- in that tribe that's around there. I think it's the Algonquins. So he didn't wasn't actually um, that's more of a tribute name as opposed to what was a, a sort of terrible nickname. Yeah, I think yeah the, the all white name. I, I, I've never uh, looked at it as being uh, a racist name at all. Um, I can understand why they're going through and just double checking things. And maybe it's one of those ones where it's an idea that comes out of a meeting and someone goes what do you reckon? Do we need to review that? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. And, and I'll maybe put it on the agenda for next time. But no, it definitely doesn't need to change. But I mean, really, when John Adshead, he was the one who pushed that in 1982. And he came out and he really had a, it was really about, right, well, you know, we're going to show everyone that we're not the All Blacks. We're the opposite of the All Blacks. You know, as if John Walker never ran in a black singlet or Peter Snell or anyone like that before. And it was like, you know, and what they did do after the success of Spain was go on to be the, the polar opposite of the All Blacks pretty much until they qualified for South Africa. So uh, to me, I'd, I've always found the All Whites name a bit meh. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's their name. That, that's fine. I've never, ever thought of it in a, in a racist way. Uh, I just think it's kind of odd that all of our sports teams wear black and they don't. So I actually quite enjoy seeing them, you know, seeing them wear black because I do think one of the best things is, and I've had comments from Smithy, you know, our old mate Dan Dibley, in the USA and the likes of Ramona Shelburne and those as well, they messaged me going, you know, oh, at the Olympics, your guys' uniform all in black looks awesome, you know, as that. So I think that's kind of the part for me. I, I don't know why they chose to go the opposite of all our other sports teams. But apart from that, never looked at it as racist. I, I don't think it needs to be changed. You know, well, I, I wouldn't vote for it if I was in that board meeting anyway. Okay, Nathan Rowdy and Nikki Storis with us at the moment. Uh, Please stay with us, uh, folks. A couple of other issues to sort through. Uh, after the news, it's time now for that with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.34, uh, smack bang in the middle of the panel this morning with uh, Nathan Rarity and, of course, Nikki Styrus. And Nikki, uh, a lot of toing and froing in rugby circles. It seems uh, overnight as if they've reached some sort of agreement on things. Uh, I'll ask you a question from New Zealand's point of view. Uh, the All Blacks, are the All Blacks a little bit too powerful and when it comes to these sorts of things? Are we a, bit, a little bit too protective of our own? Yeah, well, actually, uh, I, yeah, I think we are. I think we have an arrogance that I don't think we... Well, maybe not the All Blacks themselves, but, but definitely NZR. I think they have an arrogance that perhaps they don't deserve and probably shouldn't have in this current climate. Um, yes, I do see that they have come to some sort of agreement about um, a rugby for, new rugby format. And um, I guess the issue for me is, you know, Australia has made it quite clear that they wanted the conference system and that's because they like the local derbies. They, in, the, in the new format, their sticking point is the, um, the three extra round-robin games. 
And of course, Australia would like those to be domestic in their own country. And I can understand that because they've got a sport there that struggles to keep the numbers, to keep the public interested. You know, it's not as big as rugby in New Zealand and they're trying to grow that game. And if you've got a New Zealand team going there week in, week out, or and, and these Australian teams are getting smashed, then that's not doing anything for the profile of your sport over there. So I can certainly understand why they they have these opinions. Now, I guess um, the, the, the finalisation of this format is yet to be decided. But I guess, you know, there's a couple of things that concern me here with New Zealand rugby, and that is there's, there's two jobs they really, really needed to achieve uh, in 2021. Uh, and one of them was obviously to um, gain revenue through the Silver Lakes deal, which they managed to uh, bungle and stuff up. And the second one is obviously to keep Sansar sweet, because at the moment, really, it's the rugby championship and the Sansar broadcast deals that are paying their bills. So I'm a little bit worried about um, Mark Robinson, and um, perhaps, you know, is it is he... Is he just too arrogant or is it a crisis of communication? I'm, I'm not really sure, but it seems to be every time he opens his mouth or Brent opens his mouth, we end up in these debacles. And, you know, those two examples are right there for everybody to see. So, um, you know, we're $400 million down at the moment. I'm not sure we're in a position to be actually dictating to Australia or to South Africa, you know, or to Argentina about how we want to have things. That's my view. Oh, I, yeah, I, I like it. Um, I like that opinion. And um, Nathan, uh, I, I looked at it from the outside, from an Australian point of view, just the man on the streets. Here they have sent their team over here um, in an economic uh, exemption they got through to come over here, which was okay. That was fine. Uh, they've come over here. They've played on the worst possible venue they can. They've, they've got the predictable result. They've got two uh, beatings. Uh, and now all of a sudden we've got a chance to get them over there. Um, on Perth, and all of a sudden they don't want to come. They're, they're a bit reticent about jumping on the plane, and that. So I could kind of think, uh, kind of understand the Australian man in the, tr- in the street perspective on this whole deal. Is is it as simple as that for you? Well, I, um, I spoke to Peter Fitzsimons about this last week, and he actually pointed out that there was no possible way with the policy that Western Australia had in place that we could have even got out of with that that we could have gotten over to Perth in the required amount of quarantine and then got out on the park. Like, the game would have had to have been delayed by two days anyway because um, that game was 12 days away at that stage and the quarantine they would have had to have done was 14. Uh, and he was quite excited because what he told me was, he said, well, this is great. The Wallabies can run out onto the field and we'll just claim it as a default that you guys didn't get there. So I think that... Um, there's quite a few shifting sands with, with what's gone on over there in Australia. And the good thing is they will get to play that other um, test. I know that um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, who's, who's running Queensland, she's done a much better job um, of handling their COVID situation. And remember, sport doesn't rule Australia. Sport doesn't rule the virus. The, right, the virus rules everything else. Like We're on its timeline, not on the others. So um, I think they're doing quite a pragmatic idea by it looks like they're going to shift the entire rugby championship to to Queensland uh, to have it played because you know they can I mean the NRL they're running their competition up there pretty well so long as Josh Dugan doesn't go out driving again trying to get to Lisco to visit mates for parties or whatever but you know they've, they've still got that going pretty well up there um, I, I, I think it's smart and I think it's pragmatic and you've really got to shift this I mean like I wasn't against it going up to be played in um, in Europe because I thought to myself, I mean, for me, 
personally, it all happens in the same rectangle in the corner of my lounge. Like, I was never going to those games anyway, so I wouldn't care mm. if it's Perth, I wouldn't care if it's Brisbane, I wouldn't care if it's there. I just want to see the teams play. So, yeah, really disappointing, though, for, I guess, a lot of people in Perth that were looking forward to the game, but the practicalities was it actually couldn't have happened. So I think that as far as rugby championship goes, this is quite smart. And I know a lot of the South Africans are very upset, saying, why don't you all come over here? But I think when we have a look at I mean, it's, I don't think it's that secure a situation over there as far as being able to keep people safe from COVID goes. So when Australia gets the win here of um, having the competition on their time zone and down their eastern seaboard, it's the most convenient for them as far as television goes. Um, and I think perhaps they've really got themselves the win here rather than it just um, heading up north. There's no uh, green light just yet, changing though, Oh, no. Sorry, sorry. There's, there's, no, no, there's no, no, there's not. No, no but I mean, I, I know too. I mean, one, one of the things um, too is that we, we often talk about um, the CEOs, what have you, but that Players Association holds a massive amount of sway. Like, as, as I understand it, I think a part of their deal was they were only allowed to do one bout of MIQ. So when they go, I believe they're going to be away for like four months at a time. So I think the players dug their heels in the same way as the professional players also dug their heels in to try and get a bigger cut of that Silver Lake deal, which, which certainly pushed things around. Um, but I, I think that if it does end up in Queenstown, uh, sorry, in Queensland and being run, they still will get to play that third Bledisloe, really the only one that misses out, unfortunately, as, as all places have had to miss out, like Perth misses out on a game. But remember, Dunedin missed out on a huge game at that, um, that match against uh, the Springboks to be the 100th game. So it's, it's just as it is in this world, like it's... Um, is changing on us all the time. I mean, like, what, a couple of couple of weekends ago, Smitty, there I was waking up on my dear mother's house and I get woken up by this beep at 7.30 in the morning and it's my old mate Ian Smith and he sent me a beautiful picture of his breakfast <laughs> in Auckland, uh, which, was a, which was a plate of just straight bacon. And I admired that. I thought that was beautiful. So, um, you know what I mean? It changes. There was no bread or anything, Nicky. Just nothing, just bacon. No. And I was like... I was like, I'm not surprised. I tell you what, you know what, what I couldn't do. I know we're in a a, a wonderful uh, situation in life where technology goes ahead. I just wanted to send a smell to you, Nathan, but I couldn't. I I looked at every button on my phone. I just could not. I I couldn't find. I couldn't find the bacon smell (laughs) button. But however, hey, hey, thanks, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. Scratch and sniff iPhone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 there's an idea. Go, Nathan oh. Rarari, full of ideas. As always, Nathan Rarari, an absolute legend, uh, a fantastic bloke, um, one of the most knowledgeable sporting commentators I've ever had the privilege of working for. I've never had the privilege of, of working uh, 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 that closely with Nicky Storris. Uh, I hope to one day, and in the way that the media's paths cross, I think that's a real possibility. Thanks uh, so much to, to both of those people. Uh, when we come back, 8833 is our text number, 0800 150 uh, 811 is our phone number, uh, and of course uh, we're heading towards 11 o'clock, and prior to that we'll also be talking to Louis Herman Watt, and we'll pop into the TAB as well. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.48 here, just a chance to get uh, a little update on the golf as well and the PGA. Uh, into the last hole, this is very interesting actually, Tony Finau is in the clubhouse at 20 under, this is the Northern Trust, um, and uh, part one of the playoffs towards the FedEx Trophy. Uh, Cameron Smith is at 20 under with about a 25 foot putt for birdie, 
to win it outright. Uh, John Rahm has got about a 30-footer. He's at 19 under. He's played a bit loosely in the last two or three holes. Uh, he needs uh, about a 30-footer uh, to go to 20 under and join uh, those guys at the top. Uh, love hearing Nate's voice again, yes. Uh, that's from Ryan, so do I. Uh, good to hear old man Nato back on the wireless talking sport. Thanks, Smithy. Ross Henry there. Um, also uh, texting saying great to hear Nicky Styrus's point of view. So, uh, yeah, the panel is a very, very, um, very successful, very popular part of our show. If the All Whites name is under scrutiny, says Charlie, then isn't the All Blacks name going to be under the same scrutiny? I doubt it. I doubt it it'll get that far. Uh, let's uh, hope not anyway, Charlie. Hopefully this is just a storm in the proverbial big fat teacup. Uh, yes, the all-black uniform does look great. Pity the current team ruined it but with their pink fluorescent clown shoes. <laughs> That's an interesting point of view from Wayne uh, Whangarei. Uh, high in reference to why the all-whites didn't wear black in those days. Refs wore black, so obviously that would clash, says Paul. Interesting point of view, that, and probably dead true as well. Uh, hey, Smithy Grant from Melbourne. I live in Melbourne and still got to do 14 days quarantine to go to WA or Queensland for both games. Uh, the WA Premier was never going to do the All Blacks any favours. But as we discussed uh, a little bit earlier in the show, John, a very quick word from you, um, the way I see it, uh, they won't have 14 days before the 4th of September if that game goes ahead on that day. Hell no, Smithy, no. And when we talked to Rob Nickel yesterday, he said they're probably likely to leave this Friday um, and probably a game on Saturday. So it looks like they'll get seven days of quarantine and they'll be able to train at the same time. So it looks like the Aussies have done us a wee favour. Well, it's an economic exemption. Of course it is. That's the way we've got to look at it. 10.50 here on SENZ. Louis Herman Watt and the TAB to come before 11. On SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Louis Herman Watt is with us uh, by phone this morning. And uh, Louis... Um, we seem to be daily talking about an update. Now we've got the official word we'll be in lockdown in New Zealand till 11.59 on Friday night, which uh, doesn't give many people um, much chance to uh, get race meetings organised for this Saturday. But having said that, I did uh, text Butch Castles yesterday. They're due to race at uh, Tarapa uh, this Saturday coming. He said it can be done and uh, they would be proceeding if they uh, are not on level four. That's interesting. Yeah, that's right. So I guess... Midnight, well, we'll find out on Friday, but midnight on Friday night, we'll be springing into action as with the whole racing industry, Smithy, for a, a mammoth day of gallops. Um, so we'll have Tarapa, we'll have Awapuni, and then even down at Ashburton, there was a meet that was meant to be on this Thursday, I believe, that gets pushed back to um, the Saturday. Then Matamata runs on the Sunday, and there's a huge card, a huge card, excuse me, of harness racing. That is good set to go group and um, proper open harness racing on the Sunday as well. So it could be a huge weekend of racing if the rest of the country, not Auckland, is brought down to level three. It is a bit of an agonising wait for people like Butch, though, to work out what sort of fields they're going to have. Now, I don't know if it's confirmed, but there's a good chance that Avon Taj is now going to go to um, Melbourne. And especially if we don't get out of level into level three in time, she's going to go over to Melbourne and probably end up clashing against Probabil in the Cockrum. So the group three over there, rather than the group one Mimsy, um, we know Aegon's running in the group one Mimsy, but this isn't great for New Zealand clubs. And I guess this is what the uncertainty does. Trainers and connections have to make a decision, Smithy. So 
Uh, we'll work out, try to, we'll work it on today, trying to work out what Tiako is actually doing with Avantage. But it would be a massive shame if she can't run on the Foxbridge for Butch Castles and Tarapa. That's an interesting point. A lot of people would say, why, why can they race? Uh, what about the resilience of, of Australian racing? I mean, you know, it doesn't appear to me as if they've really missed a race day since we were originally locked down. Sure, they've had the odd one where there's been a bit of an issue on course and they've called them off, etc. But they've just plummeted on through this whole thing, courtesy of Peter Philandes. Um, Louis, so what, why have we, uh, are we just more conservative across the board? Is that the, yeah, is that the yeah, problem? Yeah, you've got it, Smithy. We're just conservative across the board. And, and Baz and me kind of butted heads a little bit this morning. And, and, and that's fair enough. I know Brett Baz is really passionate, and so am I. I would love to see racing, but I just think it's across the board. Our lockdown is just far more conservative. And I think it puts the racing industry in New Zealand in a very tough position because then they get compared to Australia where, you know, the Bunnings have been open in Sydney and, and Melbourne for weeks on weeks on end and look at their outbreaks. So it's just a completely different playing field, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a different playing field, uh, Louis, often is, actually. Uh, thanks very much uh, for your input this morning. We'll just keep uh, our finger on the pulse of possible racing in this country over the weekend. That would interest us. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, 11.03, you're here on SENZ. I'm really honoured uh, to uh, introduce our next guest to you because uh, he's New Zealand's uh, greatest ever footballer. Uh, I don't need to say much more than that, uh, although I will add that uh, he is uh, affiliated to uh, Nati Poro. He's, uh, his descent is Swiss uh, into uh, uh, Maori, so uh, he's pretty well qualified to talk about uh, one of the hot subjects about uh, New Zealand football at the moment. Uh, good morning, uh, my fellow Rongatai College alumni, Winton Rufa. Good morning to you. Yes, Matthew, I was just going to mention that too. I was going to say, hey, look, we're old boys from Rongatai, so uh, how good is that? (laughs) Uh, Who would have thought um, those days there on the football ground there would have taken us to the seats we sit in now, mate, but uh, they have. Uh, Winton, uh, look, you were part of that uh, All Whites campaign, that great All Whites campaign back in uh, 81 that led to the World Cup in 82, and that's where the All White name basically came of age. Uh, how special is it to you? Yeah, no, it's very special. It's very special for every player that plays uh, for the national team. It's no different for the All Blacks, uh, you know, the rugby players, and then, to you know, it's... That iconic brand is, you know, world famous, the All Blacks, and uh, no different. It's just amazing to represent your country, and uh, this is just this natural uh, situation. But sadly, Smithy, as we know, that uh, the world's just getting crazier as it is, you know, as things, uh, you know, as we grow older and things develop, and uh, absolute madness with what's going on and that they can even bring this sort of thing into question. It's just it's incredible. Do you remember how it actually came of age and when you first heard the name All Whites, uh, how, how it was received within the group? Well, look, it, it, I would say it sort of evolved, you know, with the successes of the team. It was a miracle at the time in, you know, 1981, well, actually, it was 1982 and January the 10th, uh, 1982 was in the, you know, on that qualifying game, uh, extra playoff game in Singapore, where, uh, you know, that 
got us the, the, the last place into the World Cup in Spain in 1982. They'd even cancelled or, or postponed the World Cup draw that would have been in December of 1981 because of this playoff game. And so the whole world was, you know, had its attention on the game between New Zealand and China and, and we became victorious and the whole All Whites brand was, you know, just continued to evolve and it was, you know, just by representing New Zealand at the World Cup, it was obviously we're nothing compared to the iconic brand of the, the All Blacks, but, you know, we just had our bit of moment of history and fortunately the All Whites in 2010 and then the amazing final game in, in the stadium in, in, in Wellington, you know, a full house against Bahrain and, you know, you had every... I think from the 35,000 spectators in the stadium, there were about 34,000 of them were wearing a white shirt. It was incredible. I was there. And, uh, you know, these are just special moments in, in the history of sport for New Zealand, for us. And uh, you know, all white, all blacks, tall blacks, uh, silver ferns, football ferns. I mean, these are all, you know, it's sort of like part of our DNA. I love hearing that story. I love the way you describe that, and I can, I can still hear um, the passion in your voice, Winter, because uh, it, it emphasises to me just how much it means to those people uh, that wore that shirt. And, and that shirt was always, it was just about the colour of the shirt. It was the colour of the uniform, nothing else, surely. No, well, it's funny, you know, because there's, I can just imagine the conversations with the players and even, you know, the New Zealand team and the, the, they're called the Ollie Whites that went to the Olympic Games, you know, last month. And we had, you know, look, the Olympics. You, you and I, we grew up, you know, with the All Blacks brand as Rongatai Old Boys, you know, as kids in Wellington. We grew up with that brand of the All Blacks. We grew up with that, you know, the Olympic spirit and, you know, Peter Snell, 60, 64 Olympic Games, winning gold medals, 76, uh, John Walker, you know, winning the gold medal. And there we had the Olympics last month. We had our, you know, greatest performance ever, 20 medals. Uh, we've now had our, our greatest Olympian of all time, Lisa Carrington, just unbelievable what she's doing with the kayak and, just amazing stories uh, of, of what we've achieved. And then in, in the football, we got to the quarterfinals. It's unbelievable what the team has pr produced and it's been as well, just something that's been developing over the last 20 years with the youth development, with the individual academies here in New Zealand. And amazing. And I can just imagine that the players who were there last month who were on the field and then oh, they'll be all, I can tell you, they'll be spewing about this conversation, but of course they can't say nothing. Even Danny Hay, I can just imagine what he's thinking and saying right now, and uh, uh, which is you know everything against what they believe in, what in how you try to inspire the players. If you're the coach, and part of the coaching staff with the players, you know to to put on that shirt, you know the hairs stand on my back as I just think of the All Blacks and when they do the haka and they, they just put the black shirt on, you know, and it's the same with us with the All Whites. When you're about to play the game, you're in the changing room and then you put the shirt, the white shirt on. 
you know what it means is it's and this is why we get the success our team is compared to the japan's the 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 spanish spanish team the the brazilian team we're not at their level but what we have is is, is team is, is unity and there we have power in in unity and, and and that's why we get to the quarterfinals and then danny hayes does an amazing job with these awesome talented players and we also make history for football we've got first time to the quarterfinals at the olympic games and then this, this rubbish that they you know and i'm maori i'm proud of being an uh, Pro on on my mother's side if i had to choose and then no disrespect to my dad i love my father and i love foots and i love everything about it if i had to choose i'm going to choose i'm maori eh? and then and we all played together when the, the Rongatai as, as kids growing up. We played with, with Samoans and Tongans and uh, Māori and Pākehā. You know, there was, it was, there was unity. So this, 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 this talk today, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So, uh, uh, you know, when time, it's just, it's I, I'm going to talk to you about... I'm gonna, not, not unity. I'm going to talk... No, I'm going to talk to you about other football matters now, mate, because I, I think I, I, can't, I can't make... Uh, more of a point than you've just made. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant to listen to it, and I hope, like hell, someone at New Zealand Football uh, has been listening. Um, not much else to do, apparently, there. Uh, let, let's talk about um, those Ollie Whites in, in more depth, actually, in the future of New Zealand Football. Now, we, you were one of our pioneers in that respect. You went overseas, and you played for some great European clubs along the way, um, you know, and, and forging one of the great football careers, uh, the greatest New Zealanders uh, have ever seen. Uh, these days, of course, um, our youth of today get that opportunity, uh, which is only accorded to the very best back in your day. Uh, and so, therefore, their experience is greater. And you're right, Danny Hay and galvanising these, these, these blokes together ha has done a wonderful job. Are you, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, you're thinking, that, that the football's pretty, pretty bright. The only problem is we just can't play or we don't play enough. Well, good. There's academies around the country, and and you know that are doing the right thing, and even in Christchurch and Wellington and Auckland and and the little centres, you know, in towns. There's a big passion for for football, and uh, it's coming through. It's showing, and and the players then develop, go overseas, or they play at the Wellington Phoenix, and. So that's been quite good, and, and how they've been progressing in, in the last years, and then, but obviously the ultimate for the young player is to go and play overseas. And from that Ollie White side, and we saw, you know, uh, Liberati Kakachi, who had a fantastic career as a teenager with the Phoenix, and then he's played last season in Belgium, played every game, and now he's back playing in Belgium. And uh, Supreet Singh, actually, who missed out on the playing with the Ollie White. He, he was in camp with them at the, in the first few days uh, here in New Zealand uh, preparing for the Olympics and he got called up then by his club uh, Bayern Munich uh, that he, there was an opportunity to go on loan. So he had to leave the, the camp, um, worked it out obviously with Danny Hay. It was, it was sad for everybody. You know, he had to put his career first and he, he left team and uh, fortunately for him it's worked out his team Regensburg which is in the it's a small club in the area of Bavaria which is part of you know where Munich Bayern Munich is that's in, in, in that um, region of Bavaria 
uh, is Regensburg, and unbelievably in the second division, right? If they, so the top three, whatever goes up to the first division, you know, where Bayern Munich and Dortmund are playing, and his team, Regensburg, after about four games, is top of the table with 12 points, and Sapreet Singh has been in the best 11 on two of those games and scored twice. So he's, he's on fire doing brilliantly with his uh, club Regensburg in the second Bundesliga. As I said, unfortunately, we didn't see him on the field for New Zealand playing at the um, Olympics last month. But, you know, again, another awesome, talented player that's, um, you know, flying his trade overseas. And then another cool story is um, Ryan Thomas at PSV Eindhoven. That's also one of the biggest teams in Holland. They're playing actually tomorrow morning, uh, Champions League uh, qualifier, and um, against, I think it's, is it Galatasaray from Turkey? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just watch Sky Sport tomorrow morning. I think it's about 6.30, and you'll see, potentially, we'll see uh, Ryan Thomas, Kiwi, who's playing for PSV Heinzhoven in the Champions League qualifier. He hasn't been starting this season with PSV. They've got a German coach. It's, it's a top squad. But it's the highest level of, of world football. And uh, so it's not only Chris Wood who's doing an unbelievable job and, you know, greatest goal scorer of all time in the uh, Premier League for uh, Burnley and broken a 100-year-old record. Was super class again last month as captain for the, for the Ollie Whites and, and led the team. Was just you know he's, he's a humble, amazing guy. Just brilliant what he's doing as well, blazing the trail there in the English Premier League. But uh, so Chris Woods, uh, Sapreet Singh, you know, Liberato Kakachi, uh, Ryan Thomas. You know we got some really international quality players. So it's really cool. Winton Rufa. Um Absolutely fantastic to uh, catch up with you and, and talk with you this morning. And, and you answered my question very simply, uh, and that was, uh, what does the all-white jersey and the name of the all-white jersey mean, um, all-white shirt mean to uh, the players? Uh, none better, none better than uh, our greatest ever uh, to uh, let us know. And I think he did, he did that very, 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 very openly and honestly. Uh, thanks for that. And very valuable time indeed uh, talking to uh, Winton Rufa there. It's 11.16 here on SENZ. Uh, we're going to Mount Rushmore shortly. Uh, we've got a different topic today. It's about venues, not players or teams. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. <laughs> Eleven twenty-one, and that uh, music, uh, very very good piece of music. Just uh, by the way, uh, is uh, the signal for Mount Rushmore. Remember, Mount Rushmore is that place where they've got all those uh, former American greats, presidents, etc., carved into uh, granite uh, for all to see. There's four of them there. So uh, John Day and I once a week uh, come up with the same theory in terms of uh, people, teams, um, or events or maybe even venues and venues is our subject today our four Mount Rushmore sporting venues 
Uh, I'll kick it off, John, uh, with my number four, uh, which is Wembley. Uh, I was lucky enough to uh, been to Wembley twice, actually. I went for a cup final, which was uh, the most incredible experience there. Manchester United beaten Brighton 4-0. Uh, the singing and chanting there was uh, unbelievable. And whilst Wembley looks like a vast arena, uh, when you're actually watching it on television, it looks like it just goes forever. Uh, when you're actually in the stadium up high, it, you're actually sitting on top. It's a beautifully designed stadium. I also uh, sat where the players came out, come out, where they walk out, they do that famous walk out of the tunnel. Uh, I was lucky enough to be positioned there during the, the 2015 Rugby World Cup. I could basically just lean on that uh, barrier there and look over as the players came out. It was the most incredible seat to, to do some commentary, rugby commentary there, and just take in Wembley. Uh, and, you know, not just the name of Wembley with uh, associated way back to the 1966 uh, English victory in the World Cup, their only victory. Uh, it's just an amazing stadium. Yeah, it's I was, the, I was there in 2015 as well, Smithy. Um, yeah. And for the rugby game, but to be there for a football game, especially a, a cup final, that must be something else. Yep, uh, it was. Uh, it really was. And uh, I was uh, lucky enough. I was just sitting in the outer uh, with a group of my mates, teammates, and, and we just took it all in and thought, this is something special and we are very lucky. And uh, Wembley, Wembley will always be Wembley in, in that regard. It's the number one football stadium. Um, I won't say in Europe because uh, other people will jump down my throat there, but certainly in England. Uh, the MCG uh, is my number three. No problem there with the MCG because um, not only does it have that great aura about it, uh, it has so many memories for me and bad memories most of it. I, if I think back to the number of times we've been shafted at the MCG, uh, that's why it has to be a part there. But it is a coliseum. It's been upgraded. Uh, the stands there are ginormous. When you stand out in the middle, you just think, wow. Uh, and then you stand out in the middle and you think, how the hell did Lance Cairns sit uh, six or seven yeah. sixes uh, in those the space old bats. of about 20 minutes there? <laughs> uh, hit it over the fence, which you had to do in those days. You don't have to hit it over the rope, which is 10 metres in these days, or into the fence. You had to over the fence uh, to get six. Quite incredible. Uh, the MCG, a long stay in my memory, uh, is one of my Mount Rushmore venues. Eden Park had to put a New Zealand ground in there. Really do have to, have to put a uh, New Zealand ground in there. So Eden Park comes in at number three. Al Mecca at number two, sorry, Al Mecca. Uh, and then, of course, uh, so many uh, individual sporting memories me there, but uh, memories of, of being on the sideline um, more often than not, uh, just taking in World Cup victories, etc. 87, 2011, of course, which set us back on track there. So uh, just Eden Park and, and what it is. It's the Garden of Eden. It's not the most user-friendly place in the world, but once you're actually down there on the sideline or you're out in the middle, certainly it, it is uh, quite a special place yep. to be. Uh, and in the end, uh, number one was quite easy for me, Lord's. Lord's Cricket Ground in London, uh, the most beautiful place, the most beautiful atmosphere, clean, hollow um, atmosphere at a cricket ground, which when it has to, can break out into an absolute frenzy. Uh, and that, of course, was the World Cup that uh, we did not win. We didn't lose, but we did not win. Uh, so that, that was uh, probably the most special day of commentary in my life. And obviously, uh, the, the little traits, the little idiosyncrasies that Lords has that no other does, and that is like the slope that it's on, the nursery ground at one end, the members' pavilion at the other end, the queue stand, all those beautiful stands, uh, the Edridge stand, they're all being, some of them are being rebuilt at the moment. Uh, the media centre with that space-like thing. I mean, it looks space-like now. Imagine when they built it 20-odd uh, years ago and they put that damn thing up. 
uh, you know, it was just, but it is the best view of any sports ground that I've ever been to in terms of the media centre. So uh, they were easy ones for me. Um, to be honest, it took me about five minutes to work out. John, <laughs> how, how did you pan out? Yeah, mate, that's a solid Mount Rushmore of sports grounds there. Um, I feel unpatriotic now because I don't have a New Zealand ground in my top four. And Eden Park, for me, I don't know, it's just that weird shape. You're almost too far away for the rugby. And then the cricket, It's just the boundaries are tiny, but I have enjoyed myself. My greatest sporting moment that I've ever been to was that semi-final in 2015. But I don't have Eden Park. Number four for me is Oracle Park, it's called now, in San Francisco, formerly AT&T Park. Uh, it's where the San Francisco Giants play. And it's right there on the bay. Beautiful. You can overlook the water. You can see Alcatraz in the distance. There's people in kayaks out on the water waiting for home runs to be hit and there is just not a bad seat in the whole place. It's the most amazing uh, baseball ground I've ever been to. I went to Dodgers Stadium as well and it didn't have anything on the home of the San Francisco Giants. So for me, that is number four. I feel traitorous now. I've got Twickenham and is my favourite uh, sports gra- uh, rugby ground. Uh, purely rugby, just the home of rugby um, and memories of that 2015 final against the Wallabies, just one of the greatest games an All Blacks team has played. Uh, And the atmosphere is incredible. Uh, You feel like you're right on top of the ground. You would have been there several times, Smithy, and just the vibe you get when you walk into Twickenham. It's very la-di-da. Everyone's well-dressed with their scarves and everything, and you just feel like you're at a massive, big, special sporting event. So Twickenham, number three. Number two, Suncorp Stadium. In Brisbane, it is just made for rugby league, a little bit of rugby union, formerly Lang Park. Um, just the Aussies there are rabid, They're absolutely rabid Queenslanders. They make it a, a feisty affair every time you go there. If you're not going for a Brisbane team or the Wallabies, they let you know about it. It's always warm, which I always appreciate, unlike Twickenham, which can be very cold. So Suncorp Stadium, number two for me, and number one sporting ground I've ever been to and on the planet for me is the MCG. Like you mentioned, it was number three for you, but number one for me. I'd never been there until the Boxing Day test recently, uh, which was great for about an over when Trent Bolt got that first wicket, but uh, after that, not so good. But it's like a city, Smithy. It's, you could turn it into a town. Like You'd never have to leave. Mm. There's bars, restaurants, shops. You could, you could spend literally a week there, uh, which a lot of Kiwi fans did, watching the Black Caps, but the MCG, being in the crowd's amazing. I can't imagine what it's like in the middle Smithy, when you've got a rabid Aussie crowd going at you. So that's the number one for me, sports ground in the world. Okay, absolutely fantastic. And uh, we've had uh, texts come in, John, on the same subject. It might be from a league fan, I'm just guessing here. Carlock Park, Leichhardt Oval, Oniwa Domain, and Ellerslie Racetrack. Now that sounds like a quintessential (laughs) league racing sort of a bloke to me. That is blue collar. at all. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. Incidentally, um, the golf, I can give you a, a golf update. They went to the first playoff hole. This is Tony Finau, of course, and uh, Cameron Smith. Tony Finau knocked it straight down the middle, and Cameron Smith proceeded to, proceeded to hit his uh, drive straight out of bounds. Uh, so effectively, that was playoff done and dusted uh, on the tee, the, the first tee uh, of the playoff hole. So Tony Finau wins the Northern Trust. You can be a winner too, actually, right here and now. Uh, you can dial in on 0800-150-811 and stump Smithy. That's uh, our favourite game of the morning here on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. They always call in for Stump by Smithy, that's for sure. And we go to the Manawatu 
and we've got Kiri on line one. G'day, Kiri. Yeah, how are you guys? Really good, really good. Um, you know how this game works. Three sporting categories, you choose one, then get three questions right. You win 50 bucks from the TAB, but get one wrong. Smithy can stump you, and you can leave with nothing. Yep, sweet as. All right, mate. Uh, how's your lockdown going, by the way? Lockdown. Oh, well, I'm a farmer, so we're all still full steam ahead. Yeah, mate. Uh, yeah, no days off as a farmer, that's for sure. Um, and did you hear our chat about favourite sporting grounds? You got a favourite sports ground? Is it FMG Stadium? Uh, yeah, I like FMG. Uh, car, the old Carter Farms was a cracker. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Great yeah. call. And yeah, Carter Farms probably one of my favourites. I was there at one of the last ever games. So. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, and yeah, I got a little soft spot for Murrayfield as well, to be honest. Oh, nice in Scotland, all around the UK. Beautiful rugby grounds. All right, mate, your categories today are football, rugby union, and cricket. Which one are you going to go for? Uh, we'll go rugby union, eh? Rugby, keep it solid. Good man. All right, Kerry from the Manawatu, let's get underway. Speaking of Wales, Alan Wynne-Jones has played 12 matches for the British and Irish Lions, which is quite impressive but he's not the most capped lion of all time. Who is? Uh, the most capped lion. Oh, Yayan Evans? Yayan Evans, great winger. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. But not the correct answer. I don't know how many Yayan Evans has played for the Lions. Um, was an impressive player when I was growing up. Smithy, you got an idea who the most capped British and Irish lion is of all time? Uh, tempted to say Martin Johnson. Great Martin Johnson. The big Englishman. Played a bit in New Zealand for King Country, maybe? He's got him. He's out caught. But that is not correct. It is Willie John McBride. 17 tests for the Lions. Which is quite incredible. Uh, the Welshman there, Willie John McBride. So you're still alive, Kerry. Uh, this yep. second okay. question is a bit closer to home. The Tasman Markle. They've won back-to-back MPC titles. Who is their coach? Oh, who's their coach? Bit of an unsung hero. You might see him as well uh, sometimes when the Crusaders play. Um, He's hovering around in the background. Some of you will know this one too. Um... Chris Jack Chris Jack great Mark all man but feet everywhere body nowhere and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion not correct unfortunately wonder what Chris Jack is doing these days could be worth a buzz uh, during lockdown but Smithy Tasman Markle coach who's led them to two titles yeah, yeah Andrew Goodman just a couple of chips down the wicket right in the slot and away it goes Kerry, you have been stumped, unfortunately. Your road to the $50 ends here. Try again yep, another day, no though. Problem. Appreciate it. All right, we're off to Huntley. G'day, Brett. How are you? G'day, JD. G'day, Ian. Huntley, mate, what's going on in lockdown in Huntley? About as much nah, as usual. Essential worker. <laughs> essential worker for, for myself. Oh, awesome. What are you up to? Like, keep it. Uh, so I've just finished, so, so on my way home. Oh, love it, love it. So you're fully vaccinated then as a frontline worker? Uh, just, just the first one. 
Just the first one. Still got one to go. Better yeah. than none, isn't it? All right. We'll yeah, just we're, ask we're you. Th- in there. Yeah. We'll ask you the third question then. So just get one right, and you've got that 50 bucks from the TAB. Hawks Bay currently hold the Ramfilly Shield, <laughs> but they don't have the record for the most successful defences in a row. That belongs to Auckland, who held it from 1985 to 1993. How many games did that Auckland side defend the log of wood? Oh, and taken off them by John Mitchell. Yeah. One of the great Ian shield Foster. wins. Yep. Um, that was 1993. Um, 66. He's got it. Is that caught? No, that is not correct. So over to Smithy for a chance at a stumping. 66 from Brett, yeah. not correct, Smithy. How many defences for that no, Auckland side? It's way too many, uh, way too many. I'm looking at perhaps, um, you, you have a, a couple of games uh, and they, they took it on the road. In fact, I, I saw a wonderful thing where they took it down to uh, Te Awamutu uh, and the crowd just lined the streets for the parade, etc. and they defended it successfully, obviously. So they would have a, a couple of those type challenges and then they would have the real uh, hardcore ones the, of their provincial rivals. I'm looking at probably six, seven games a year maximum, so I'm going to say 29. 29, John. Have I given the money uh, back into the pot? Or one of the worst. Brett get it on his. Oh, God. one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Sorry, mate, and I made Richie say it twice as well. Uh, no, Brett was very close actually. 65. Six, 61 defences, and I do 61. remember as a kid they brought it down to Nelson Good Bays God. as well and put 70 points on Nelson Bays, and they bought their best team. Sir John Kerwin scored four tries at Trafalgar Park against a third division team, and they absolutely whipped them. So, Brett, you win the $50 from the TAB. Congratulations. Thank you very much, boys. Well done on your essential work, and hang on the line too, and we'll get your details. Thank you, Say boys. the years again, John. Say the years again. 1985 to 1993. So that is nine oh. seasons worth of games. So almost seven defences a year, which is quite yeah, remarkable. Me, I, I, I heard it wrong. I heard 88 to 90. Uh, so there you go. I mean, there's me not listening in class again. It's always uh, one of my biggest failings at school, not listening to the question. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, what is it, 11.39. We've got Staffy before midday. Um, and your texts and messages as you like. Uh, McLean Park, Chatham Park, HBHS number one, which is, um, yeah, good ground, and Cornwall Park, Cornwall Park, Hastings Boys High School number one, of course, home to Hastings Boys High, and Cornwall Park and Hastings. So, <coughs> yeah, okay, they are your top four. Uh, you need to travel. Uh, you need to travel a wee bit, my Hawks Bay friend, I think. <laughs> it might be fair to say there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 11.39 here on SENZ. Just take a breath. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, together with SENZ and Farmside, the legends of the New Zealand rural connectivity, you and a mate could join Beaver Whitebait Fishing at one of his secret spots on the Waikato River. What a chance that is to chew the fat catch some white bait and uh, drink a couple. I, I just think it would be a fantastic uh, way to spend an afternoon or even uh, an early morning. It's very simple to have that chance too. All you have to do is text FARMSIDE, uh, so that's capital F-A-R-M-S-I-D-E, to 8833. Entries close uh, Friday at 9am, so text now. Nothing simpler than doing that. You 
you're, you're a real possibility to get in. Just one word, Farmside, 88.33. Interesting, John, 16 individuals have tested positive for COVID-19 in the Premier League's latest round of tests carried out on 3,060 players and club staff. So the third round of tests conducted between August 16th and 22nd last week showed an increase in infections after the English top flight recorded 20 cases in the first two weeks of testing. Among the players who tested positive last week were Chelsea's Christian Pulisic and Arsenal's new signing Ben White. Uh, Both players missing yesterday's clashes. Uh, Chelsea won 2-0, by the way, at the top of the standings, which uh, led me uh, into another interesting uh, story coming through on uh, SENZ and The Wire. Uh, was it uh, former Liverpool great Terry McDermott has brought up the fact that um, they're looking at very closely into dementia uh, being caused uh, for a lot of older players going way, way back now uh, have, have having problems with dementia. Now, back in those days, of course, they used to play with real big, heavy leather footballs, not the ones that they play with today, which are lighter, but the heavy footballs, when they get got wet, were very, very hard. Uh, and, of course... Now they're saying that hitting the football on a regular basis at practice and during games may well be the cause of uh, head problems and, in particular, dementia. Uh, and now, uh, of course, we've been going through this uh, with uh, concussion, uh, points of contact uh, during tackles, etc., with rugby and rugby league. But now we see it in football with uh, dementia. And, and I guess when you look at how far and how, you know, a goalkeeper kicks at 70, 80 metres in the air high. A guy gets up, knocks it back with his head, halfway back with his head, the point of impact there on your head. It's not surprising, but never even thought of at the time. Never even considered. No, absolutely not. And that list is growing longer. I mean, from the uh, English World Cup winning side of 66, was it? I think Nobby Styles, Jack Charlton, Ray Wilson wow. and Martin Peters have all died from dementia. So, I mean, sometimes studies oh. are done and you're like, oh, yeah, they're just looking for a link here. But there, there's got to be a link doesn't there with those like you say like um I used to play with a, a big leather rugby ball and they used to um soak them in water sometimes or you couldn't get rid of them they become rock hard like to land them on the head and these days Smithy they're thinking about maybe even changing the game so kids can't head the ball anymore um some people would say that's PC gone mad but when you look at the stats and and the older players like that getting dementia and dying from it I mean I guess they're in a position where they've got to do something well, when you start saying that, when you start saying that kids can't head the ball, you're, of course, looking at a different form of football, but you're also looking at a situation where, of course, uh, the biggest driving force be- between kids and, and the sports that they choose, etc., etc., are their parents. They're the ones that transport them. They, they point them in that direction. They fry them the gear. Um, you know, they set everything in place for them to play. And uh, we've heard so many stories about parents being concerned about concussion and uh, the contact sports. All of a sudden, we have this issue of, of perhaps uh, causing head injuries through consistently hitting footballs. And yet I, I can remember vividly and still vividly uh, watching coaches um, you know, across the road in the park across the road just lobbing the ball to kids' heads, towards kids' heads so they get in the habit of actually hitting the football. It's nothing to be afraid of, just get the technique right. Well, quite clearly, it might be something to be afraid of, something else that football may perhaps have to consider. And this is close to home for you, Smithy. You've had a son who's played for the All-Whites, played professionally. You know, like that's quite worrying, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's something obviously wrong with his bonce, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily through hitting the ball. No, um, no. Yeah. But an issue, but you, you do, when you watch a lot of football, you, you actually just, it's part and parcel of the game. I mean, it, it, 
players, some players, big defenders will hit it more often than they kick it. Uh, the big boys at the back, that's their, that's their job to defend at corner time and free kick time and then those crosses coming over just to head them out. They don't, you know, they'd probably head the ball as much as they kick it uh, if you really break down the game. Um, no, John, so very, very, very yeah. concerning uh, in that aspect. Well, oh, life, oh, life is oh. risky, isn't it? And when you play sport, I guess it comes with risks. You're going to die of something in the end, uh, so, you know. Uh, do you stop playing sport because it's going to kill you or is it just you know the risks and then you try and minimise those risks but you don't change the game, you don't get rid of sport just to stay alive an extra couple of years? I don't know. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll keep a, a, an eye on that that particular piece of news coming out of uh, the UK. I've got a couple of uh, extra t- texts here also. Uh, hi, boys. I've got a tip at Ballarat today. Race 7, night passage. I'm just the messenger, folks. Night Passage race seven at Ballarat today. They won't see which way it went currently at $3.60. So if you believe the tips you're getting from the station, Baz and Izzy have come up with a couple of good ones. Uh, there you go, $3.60 night passage, Ballarat. Uh, and they took the shield to Buller with the All Blacks. Of course, that's Anthony coming in, uh, getting back to um, what uh, Ramfilly Shield has travelled. It's already had uh, North Otago and... East Coast have had a crack at it uh, this year at McLean Park. I just wonder whether um, they're going to get uh, the opportunity to play many more games. The news coming through from the Rugby Union just this morning that all rugby can this week as well. Uh, it's uh, 11.51, small break, uh, Staffy before midday. Yeah, busy old afternoon yesterday, Smithy. It was fantastic and um, got snubbed actually by Jacinda yesterday. She wanted to go into the drive yeah. show, but I've got her back today. So uh, I'll, I'll just let Jacinda take it where she wants at uh, 1 o'clock, just after 1 o'clock. Uh, before that, though, Smithy, at quarter past 12, so 20 minutes away, All Blacks coach John Hart on the 1996 All Blacks' first ever series victory in South Africa. I spoke to him early this morning, and he said he'd just got a text message from Sean Fitzpatrick, actually, so they all remember what a fantastic day that was. So John Hart uh, will be coming up at uh, quarter past 12. Then we have Jacinda, of course. Ben O'Keefe, one of the most popular guests we've had as far as interaction with our listeners go. My crikey, the questions we get about rules and refereeing and all sorts of things. Um, so he's agreed to come back on this week. He's still in MIQ. Uh, coming back from South Africa Lions and I'm wondering if he's getting ready to get out of MIQ to get straight back on a plane back to Australia so we'll be asking him about Mm. that as well Um, doing something a bit different Smithy probably not for your and my generation we've got Dwan Mutu who heads Let's Play Live in the eSports arena which is big for lockdowns Um, it's uh, I'd imagine there's a massive uptake on online games and and that sort of thing. A guy that you know well, I know pretty well, Carl Johnson is joining us for, he's obviously the groundsman for both grounds and Hamilton, um, in our lockdown lessons, how to get a good lawn at home. I think that's going to be quite a vital uh, thing to learn. Um, And currently working on uh, either Dan Hooker or Kaikara France, We've both got uh, fights booked in the UFC. We're just working on both of those guys at the moment. Uh, and all that and more, Smithy, on Afternoons with Staffy. Interesting bloke, old KJ. Yes, he Very is. Very interesting bloke. And he's got a hell of a job, you know, because one minute you're... And sometimes in the same season with crossover staff, you're provo- supposed to provide the best cricket pitch in the country uh, and, and 500 yards down the road, uh, <laughs> the smoothest playing surface 
as well, uh, as well, you know, so cricket, rugby combined. What I'm saying there, and having to do them both at the same time. So uh, I look forward to KJ, uh, an interesting bloke, probably wearing his gum boots, probably with a glass of good George in his hand. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I'm suspecting. Uh, that's if he hasn't been out naked on his little John Deere tractor mowing his lawns, which I've seen a photo of. No, don't ask him about that, Steph. Please don't. Please don't ask him about that. That's a bad, bad thought. Wonderful morning this morning. Thanks, folks. Thanks to Winton Roofer in particular. But to all our guests, you've been absolutely great. Uh, to Trudy, to Brian, to John. Catch you all tomorrow morning. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi lockdown. for sport. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.